Hi there, and a very warm welcome to episode four of the Small Business Leaders podcast, where we look at the things that keep small business leaders awake at night. In this episode, we're going to look at skills. Skills, or more accurately, the difficulty we have in finding skills staff is one of the perennial problems facing small business leaders. Now, in the last episode of the Small Business Leaders podcast, we identified hiring quality talent and training as two of the key strategies you can use to break the habits of owner dependence in your business. So it's quite important to get it right if you want your life back. It's also very important to get right as your business grows. It's unfortunate, but in my experience, it's just a fact that the team that helped you in the early days often don't have the right skills or the mindset to help your business grow in the future. This is particularly true as your business starts to become more substantial. In my experience, the £1 million turnover point is the magic number where this starts to become very noticeable. As with all business issues, there really is no silver bullet solution to this, or any other business conundrum for that matter, but that doesn't mean that it's unsolvable. The solution really boils down to understanding the basics and carefully planning the solution. So with that in mind, we're not even going to try and find a silver bullet in this podcast. What we will do, however, is share with you how we've gone about solving the skills problem for ourselves in our own businesses and how we worked with clients to help them do the same. So let's look at the skills issue in a bit more depth. The first question to really ask yourself is what skills do we actually need to support the business right now and going forward? Now, obviously, this is the golden question. And one that is, for the large part, one of the questions that most, if not all, small business leaders struggle to answer. It often boils down to finger in the air or what the latest business guru says you need. Well, frankly, this approach is rarely, in my experience, the purveyor of a good outcome. In fact, more often than not, it results in suboptimal or just plain poor and expensive results. So let's look at the options we have before we go any further. The first is recruiting and the second is training. Both are expensive and both can, if done incorrectly, carry a high degree of perceived, if not actual risk. So with that in mind, let's first have a look at solving the problem by recruiting. Let's face it, recruitment is expensive and can also be pretty time consuming, AKA boring, for many business leaders. It's also prone to delivering some pretty disastrous outcomes. And believe me, I was one of the world's worst in this respect. It's just worth a mention at this point that in the 2021 Small Business Trends Survey, recruitment was cited by small business owners as the number two issue they faced. The number one being securing capital. This survey also found that recruiting and retaining good staff was becoming more and more difficult as the great COVID resignation started to bite. So getting good at recruitment is probably going to be one of the core skills small business owners need to acquire and develop. Now it took me about six years to realize this was indeed something I needed to concentrate on. And believe me when I tell you, I've had some really, really poor outcomes that I've certainly lived to regret. 
Outcomes I could easily have avoided had I just thought about what I was doing and put the effort in up front. Now here's something worth considering. There's a really good reason that larger companies have such extended and detailed recruitment processes. They've learned the hard way, in many cases, about what happens when you get it wrong, especially in this increasing litigious and febile post-COVID business environment, the one we now find ourselves in. So my advice to you is to learn the lessons of good recruitment quickly, understanding what you really need in the first place and then putting the effort into finding it. But also recognise that you're probably going to make some mistakes. So give yourself a quick get out of jail free card. If you need to let someone go, make sure you can do and it's in their contract of employment, especially if you want to minimise the potential risks associated with recruitment. When I first started in business, recruitment of staff usually took me about an hour, roughly, from start to finish. And I wondered why things didn't work out well in the majority of cases. When I recently sold my business, I was investing days in finding and recruiting the right candidates, including interviews, psychometrics, practical tests and peer interviews. My success rates skyrocketed and I learned the hard way, buy in haste and repent at leisure. This isn't to say I did it all, frankly I didn't, and I still find it beyond tedious to go through all of the steps I needed to. To be honest, I delegated all but the last stages to my HR director, and she, bless her, did most of the grunt work, including ensuring that the job descriptions we were writing were A, correct, and B, agreed by the employee manager, and C, required by the business. The other option you have, if you don't want to recruit, is to train either an existing member of staff or to bring someone in who doesn't have the skills but is keen to learn and progress. As we discussed in episode three of this podcast, if there are qualities and skills that your business needs, that you expect your staff to have, and that they currently don't have, then really you only have yourself to blame. As a business owner, I've found that you should always be prepared to invest in your staff. Train and develop them as your business needs change. I found that investing in people always provides a high return on investment. But unfortunately, in many businesses I've worked with, it's the first thing to be cut. The normal excuse I hear when it comes to training existing staff is, well, what if they leave? I mean, really, come on, why would they want to? Why would they want to leave you if you've invested in them? And there are always ways of ensuring contractually that you can reduce the likelihood of this in the first place. So don't get sucked into the WITL syndrome. It's seriously corrosive for any business. And this is why these businesses often find that they don't have appropriately trained staff at the time they need them. Okay, so up to now we've ignored the elephant in the room. And this is how you identify the skills you need so that you can align your training needs to meet these requirements. The number of times I've heard business owners say, well, duh, that's really easy. I know just what we need, only to discover six months down the line 
that the expensive training they've invested in has failed to deliver any real benefit and they're back to square one. If this is you, then you're in good company. Just about every business owner I've met falls into this category. But here's the rub. They don't really know. They just think they do. And guess what? This was me until I realised what a complete hash I was making of recruitment and training needs and identification. Pretty depressing really for the CEO of a training company, right? I thought so. So I tried to, uh, or I looked at ways to overcome this. And after a bit of research, I came across a thing called the Rusky Matrix. That is R, A, C, S and I. And this tool quickly allowed me to identify all of the lines of responsibility and accountability, that's R and A, who contributes to a role, that's C and S, who the supporters were, and who needed what information, I. So responsibility, accountability, contributors, supporters, and information. The really important thing here though, is to look at this through the prism of the business's perspective and not the existing employee's perspective. There's a big temptation to try and fit what you've already got into what the future needs are. And what I mean here is to build your initial model or to build the initial cut of the model with what the business needs and not what your existing staff currently do. Of course, the fundamental assumption here is that you actually know what your business needs. That's a podcast for another day. So tip one is avoid building your initial Rusky model around existing skills and people and focus on roles and skills that the business needs. It does make things easier in the long run. Now, once you know what you've actually got and what you need in terms of roles, you can quickly see where the holes are and start to build the 2B model. Doing this will let you see just what skills and experience are needed to do the jobs you require in the first place. So this is where you plug in the existing people. You do this simply by asking who is performing this role at the moment and do they have the skills required to do the job? And does the role make sense? If they do, then great. But pretty much without exception, you start to see where the skills gaps and role turbulence, as I call it, emerge. For example, let's suppose that you are looking at your Rusky matrix and you see that a particular job role is responsible for delivering future sales revenue information to the FD. Let's say it's derived from the sales pipeline. Yet the head of sales doesn't know how to use the CRM properly, even though they're accountable for ensuring their sales staff record all the relevant sales pipeline information. Then in such cases, you can see that you have a particular training need or skills shortfall. Now we're launching a course on Rusky in the near future, so you might want to consider pre-registering for it to get some early discounts. Subscribers to our mailing list will get to know when we're launching it well ahead of time. And you can download a Rusky template with a worked example from our blog to help you get a head start. The link is in the description to this podcast. If you do want to have a crack at this, then have a go. But one thing to really hoist in is that accountability and responsibility never sit with the same individual. Think about it. 
A responsible person is the individual who is personally answerable for something within their power to deliver or control. An accountable person is defined as the person who gets blamed if something isn't done. This is normally reflected in the hierarchy of the business. For instance, in my case, I was clear with my board of directors, if something didn't get done that should be done, I would hold them accountable for their staff's failures. And while it's true to say that uh, it always rolls downhill, staff's failure was invariably down to their own failure to ensure that the staff lived up to their responsibilities. So accountability and responsibility tend to sit at leadership and management level respectively, whereas contributor and supporter tends to sit at team and individual level. Now the joy of this approach means that a job description falls out of it really quickly as the training needs. It also helps you see where automation can help reduce the amount of contribution and support tasks in your business. In general, these tasks are hot candidates for automation. Now the biggest win for me from this approach was an understanding who just who needed empowering to make the decisions as well. In my opinion, making somebody accountable or responsible for something without giving them the means to manage or affect it is frankly just bullying, whichever way you look at it. And this was something I was absolutely refused to accept in my business. Empowered employees are also much more vested in helping your business succeed. It does require trust though, both ways, and it also allows you to see poor performance really quickly, with all that entails. But a word of caution though, Rescue, while a very powerful tool, does have some inbuilt weaknesses. Firstly, it assumes that you understand just what your customers value. The external value proposition and then how businesses create value and how it all links together. Understanding the internal and external value chains of your business will be the subject of a future podcast. So make sure you subscribe to get early notice of when it's released. So now let's have another look at recruitment while it's still fresh in our minds. While Rasky will allow you to build a really solid role description, this also needs to be supported by good person profile, listing the essential and desired skills and the relevant experience the role requires. The person profile is essentially your job advert. And now while this is all essential stuff, frankly it's not the whole story. What really matters in my experience is attitude. And unfortunately, this is a whole different ballpark. In my businesses, I quickly came to realize that you can't train attitude and it re it's really hard to get to the bottom of during an interview or recruitment process because people rarely reveal their true personalities at this stage of a relationship with your business. Now, one way of getting a uh, heads up regarding the candidate's attitude is to use a profiling tool. And I started using psychometric profiling as part of the recruitment process in my business, in particular Myers-Briggs and DISCs. And these gave me a much clearer picture about what really motivated potential candidates and how they would fit into the existing organization. But again, more about this in future podcasts. It's an interesting area that can help make the recruitment process a lot less stressful. Many thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. 
and if you have any comments please feel free to leave them. If you'd like any more inf information about any of the subjects covered then please use the start the conversation op option on our website. This has been episode 4 of the Small Business Leaders podcast from Exion. I'm Brian Davis and I'd personally like to thank you very much for listening.